0: if I'm having a good writing day, you must know that my house is a disaster. But I want, I have to share that because otherwise we're just like, oh, she, she can just write a book. And like, my house is a mess. What about me? You know, it's, I I can't do it. And so I'm just like, this is so important for me that, you know, that I'm doing this, but it's a mess and it's okay that it's a mess. It's okay. Nobody's doing it all. Nobody can do it all. And that's just, a message i just feel so strongly about sharing.
1: Welcome to The Right Note, a podcast dedicated to the independent author.
0: From the craft of storytelling
2: to the business side of publication, we cover it all.
1: I'm Jay Ryan Fenzel.
2: And I'm Kira F. Jacobs.
1: And this is The Right Note. In this episode, we welcome YA novelist Nicole Ladere to The Right Note to discuss teenage romance, chasing perfection, and the unifying power of Taylor Swift.
2: Welcome back to The Right Note. Remember to join our community and follow us on Instagram at The Right Note Podcast. And if you like what you hear, post a nice comment about the show on podchaser.com.
1: Okay, Kira. So, as I mentioned... Our uh, guest today is Nicole Adair, and she writes young adult novels. And that's kind of in your wheelhouse, too. Bendigo was in the young adult category. And I, I guess I want to ask you, in your opinion or in your expertise, what makes a YA novel YA?
2: Good question. I think the first thing that makes me think, YA is mainly the age of the main character. I think that's a big that's really that's really the biggest thing. But I think it also it also kind of ties into how your character makes decisions and their response to things that happen to them and how they go about solving problems because teenagers make decisions differently than adults.
1: That's for sure.
2: Yeah, they think differently. I mean, I've read books where I can tell it's YA because I wouldn't have made the same decision as, you know, the characters do. But you can tell they're making it because of lack of experience or just not having like a thorough thought process, that kind of thing. So those two things to me are what makes a YA novel YA. How
1: about how about I want to say setting, but maybe that's not the right word. But um, I guess it would be setting to an extent, for instance, in Nicole's book. And we're going to talk about voted most likely. I get the sense that it, it's a lot of the setting is the high school that that uh, the characters go to. And it kind of is, a, is its whole environment. And, and then every, most of the people in that environment are teens. You know,
2: yeah, that's a good that's a good point, too, Like because you're never going to read an adult. I mean, you. I mean, yeah, you're never going to read an adult novel that surrounds high school drama, you know, that wouldn't make sense. So yeah, setting really does play a big role in that. And, and even that, just like in Nicole's book, you have rivalry that happens in, in high school, like you just kind of have this natural push and pull of like popularity and being accepted and and that kind of thing, which as you get older, you don't necessarily deal with that as much.
1: So you mentioned rivals, rivalry, I guess, as one of the things that you find in a YA novel. I mean, are there other, I guess, tropes that show up in in YA novels that readers like to read about?
2: Rivalry is a big one. I'm pretty active on book talk, on TikTok, and that's a big thing. People are constantly looking for books that have enemies that end up coming together and either accomplishing a task or becoming friends or, you know, what have you. But I think another trope kind of like zero to hero that's another trope that is in a lot of ya books just kind of going from being unsure of yourself or feeling lowly and not really feeling like you have a purpose to finding your purpose
1: it's like it's like a, a coming of age type thing
2: yeah coming of age that's the perfect word that's that is the word actually yes coming of age
1: it's kind of like in the fantasy genres, I think one of the real popular ones is uh the chosen one mhm or, or the reawakening ancient evil that kind of thing and i and I think every genre has its list of tropes that are just kind of ingrained in it or or that are associated with it, and people people like to read it you know
2: mhm I think a new a new one is morally gray characters, oh, no. so it's like villain you know villains that are. You don't like them, but you also you also feel for them and kind of root for them. You know, it's like this sad, depressing character, but you're like, oh, but I somehow love them. That's a big one too. I love characters like that.
1: That, that actually reminded me of the old movie, The Breakfast Club, which I think you saw.
2: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: And the um, and the uh, the burnout character in that movie. What was his name? The actor who played him. I can't remember his name, but. He was kind of like the outcast at the beginning you kind of didn't like him because he was a jerk but then you kind of understood him more and you rooted for him by the end you know that kind of thing and that that's a good character turn on that yeah but you mentioned rivals being a kind of a big a big deal with uh the the YA set, and we want to focus on that a little bit uh, right now because um our character skin segment is when we talk about uh what we each pick characters Fictional characters from either movies, books, poems, what have you, and and, and explain why we think they're amazing creations. And in this week, we agreed that rivals would be a good uh, thematic topic for characters. King, and I'm thinking about it. I said, "Well, what makes what makes a rival? What makes a good rival?" And 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 this is kind of just me kind of thinking through it. But I think number one, the character goals. Have to be in direct opposition to each other between the two characters, the rivals, so they have something to butt heads about, being conflict about. But I think the other thing that that makes it really interesting also, they have something in common too, and that could be a lot of things. It could be like a shared past event that they both went through, uh, maybe former relationships, uh, maybe the same parentage or a group of friends that they all hung out with and now they don't anymore, or, or they. I mean, even. Like even guys who are mar- married to the same woman or something like that, you know, it, it's that goals and opposition plus a shared thing from the past, you know, and I think that really makes a good rival. And uh, this month, I'm going to go first for our Character as King selection. Are you set, Kira? I am set. Okay. My picks for Character as King Rivals Edition, Raylan Gibbons and Boyd Crowder. Are those familiar to you at all? Because I don't think they are. I don't think so. Okay. It's from a TV show called Justified. It was on about six, seven, eight years ago. And Raylan Givens is a U.S. Marshal from Harlan, Kentucky. And uh, he grew up in Harlan and he, and he worked his way out and he, and he wanted to leave and never come back. And then he got into some issue on his job. In Florida where they and part of his punishment was kind of like sending him back to Harlan County because they needed a marshal there and then his rival in the show was Boyd Crowder. Now Boyd was or is he's a career criminal in this county where Raylan grew up. Boyd was played by Walt Coggins and Raylan was played by Timothy Oliphant and their dynamic was really interesting. The two actors really played well together and and the shared history of the characters is they both they're in their teen years, they dug coal together, like in when they're 19 years old. So they were friends back then. And uh, actually, Boyd saved Raylan's life in some kind of mining mishap back then. But fast forward to today, their characters have gone in different directions. And now, of course, Raylan, a lawman, and Boyd, the, the criminal or the outlaw, which he calls himself they there they're constantly butting heads in Harlan County, and it's really good because there's some level there's some level of friendship that kind of still is alive somehow. But but Raylan is still wanting to arrest <laughs> Boyd for the crimes he's committed, and Boyd is still opposing everything Raylan tries to do when he when he's. Um, trying to stop the crime syndicates and things in Harlan County. But it's really interesting because there were certain, certain episodes where these cute characters actually joined up and teamed up and helped each other to some degree. And it was done a really well, like not in an unbelievable way. Like You can see that, okay, in this instance, it, it, it works for them to, to kind of get together. So their intense, com- complex relationship, I think, was really the heart of that show.
2: Good pick. Good pick. Not one I'm familiar with, but I like hearing the backstory of them. I like what you said about um, how they have to have something in common, even though they're rivals, they have to have some sort of common ground between them. And that I think that's true to have a rival, a good rivalry. You have to have that.
1: The last scene of the show before it ended was Rayland finally did arrest Boyd. And uh, Raylan was going to see him in prison, to tell him some news about some other part of the, the storyline. But the last thing they talked about was the time they were digging coal together in their teens. And I think that really kind of cinched it like that's the one thing they had in common that they never let go of. That's it. Your turn.
2: That's the last episode?
1: That was that. Yeah. But you know what?
2: You just gave it the- away.
1: Well, that's an old TV <coughs> show, Okay, that's true. That's true. The, the cool thing is, they're doing a revival kind of of the railing character this summer in a limited series called Prime City Primeval. Oh, that's cool. And guess where the uh, the show supposedly takes place? Where? Detroit City.
2: Oh no way!
1: Yeah, uh, well, are they going to
2: film it there, or did they
1: film it there? They had they they didn't film a lot of it here, but. If you go watch the trailer for it, like go Google city primeval, you'll notice they they put all the famous Detroit things you see, you know, when you go downtown. Oh, yeah. They have it in there. Yeah, so.
2: Oh, that's fun.
1: Okay, I'll stop talking now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Mine is not as elaborate. It's almost self-explanatory because it's very well known. My pick for Characters King, Rival Edition is... Draco Malfoy and Harry Potter. And the reason I chose this is they're an obvious choice. They, they butt heads throughout the entire series, but you get a glimpse into each of their lives and you see, you know, kind of what side they're on like polar opposite sides going against each other. But you, you get to see both of their motivations and obviously most people pull for Harry Potter but you also kind of see where Draco was raised up to be the way that he is and you almost feel bad for him you know in a way
1: like he didn't have a choice
2: right and you understand why he acts why he acts the way that he does but i think that's just a fun uh, that's that's kind of a fun pick when it comes to rivalry because it's you know it's such a big fandom Harry Potter and some people actually love like the Slytherin house and like the Slytherin side of of Harry Potter. And that's just like their thing. And so when you think of rivalries and the obvious pick that you would root for would be Harry Potter. But there are people who are like, no, Slytherin or die, which is funny. So that's just kind of like a fun. That's just like a fun one.
1: There were there were like what, eight, eight movies, of Harry Potter. I think that there
2: were nine because they split the eighth Books yeah, this, up, yeah right, they split the, the last
1: one into two into two movies.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So was this? I've seen some of them. I haven't seen all of them. Hmm. It was the the rival character to Harry Potter. Was he in most of the films? Like all of them?
2: Oh yeah, he's in all of them. Yeah.
1: And did they ever? He's a little
2: punk. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I, I remember him being a punk. But did did he ever like later on? Did they ever kind of team up or get together for anything, or were they always just button heads?
2: In the books. I have not read the books, but I've heard in the books that they have scenes where they kind of work together, but there's one scene I can think of right now in Harry Potter where Harry has a chance to leave Draco behind and probably lose his life, but he goes back to get him. So it's kind of like, I hate you, but I can't let you die type thing, you know? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Harry's a decent guy.
2: (laughs) Yeah, whatever. So they kind of, I mean, a little, not much. I was
1: just curious. Just curious.
2: What did you think I was going to pick? I bet I know.
1: Well, because you you briefly mentioned it before. I thought you were going to oh, pick. Oh, you
2: thought I was going to do Iron Man in and
1: Captain, Captain America. America.
2: No, that was my example. I don't like them. I was going to pick. Spock and McCoy because God, they kind of have know. like that Isn't tip with one. each other, but they're not rivals. Like they're on the same team, you know. Yeah. They just like hate each other. Their personalities and there's no hate. It's kind of like you're annoying. Get out of here. But I need you, so come back.
1: Like the one about the uh, when the giant amoeba and Spock goes into the the thing and yes. they're bickering. Be- that was a, that's <laughs> so a classic. So funny.
2: I forgot about that. That was so funny.
1: Well, I was. Jokingly picked out a wild coyote and the roadrunner for rivals, but I didn't think I could, I can really, uh, you know, carry that out as an actual pick. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, so someone listening thinks of something, uh, an interesting rival that, that, uh, maybe we should have picked. Let us know your picks for characters, king rivals at Instagram at the right note podcast. And we'll get back to you and have a discussion. All right. We are up to our interview, and it is time for us, as promised, to welcome YA novelist Nicole Adair to the right note. Now, Nicole is the author of A Tangle of Dreams and voted most likely. She graduated from Brigham Young University with a bachelor's in political science, but decided that writing teenage love stories is much more fun. She lives in Arizona with her husband and three daughters. And when she's not writing, she spends her time reading, running, and snuggling with her girls. You can follow her on Instagram at write Nicole Wright for updates on her writing and news about her upcoming release. Her work in progress is called A Memory Made Real, and that's a sequel to her first novel, uh, A Tangle of Dreams. But her most recent title uh, voted most likely... Is a charming, warm, and nostalgic coming-of-age love story with a unique twist. Reviewers have called it a beautiful tapestry, a stunning and wonderful story, and my favorite, YA perfection.
2: (laughs) I can agree with (laughs) all of that. (laughs)
1: That's Uh, high
2: praise. That's really kind.
1: (laughs) Welcome to The Right Note, Nicole. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me.
1: For those uh, listening who may not know you, You want to say a few words about yourself and your writing?
0: Yeah, uh, I'm Nicole. I've been writing for a couple of years now. I um, got started on what became my first novel in um, the fall of 2019, and started writing seriously in 2020 in January. You know, a good old-fashioned New Year's resolution. (laughs) And um, yes, somehow three books have come. You know, come from that. So. It's pretty amazing. I love it.
1: <laughs> Just curious now, that, it's a, the time the time period kind of puts it around the COVID lockdowns and everything. Did that play into it at all and how you were able to focus on your writing?
0: You know, it's funny because I think a lot of people started writing books in 2020 in COVID because they were locked down, but I was already doing that before everything was locked down. So um, on one hand, it kind of made it harder because school was canceled. So you know, my kids were home more, but they were younger then. So only my oldest was really in school at the time, but yeah, we were all home and isolated and that sometimes as a mom means less writing time, (laughs) but yeah, but I had already, I was already, I think I finished my first draft by May of 2020. So I had finished that up and then just jumped right into revising and figuring it out as I went along. So
1: yeah, so I, I, I keep forgetting that thing about the kids being home because Kira went through yeah. the, the same thing with yeah. with Josiah, and you know when I was locked in, I didn't have a kid, so it was kind of <laughs> like, oh, I got more time to write, you know?
2: Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> y'all had your own levels of the house. <laughs> yeah, to <they're> just <laughs> like dwell in. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: right. Um, in regards to voted, most likely the the well developed character relationships in in that story. Namely, between uh, the main character Josephine and her family and her friends, it's mentioned time and again in review reviewer comments. Is is this something you work hard at crafting, or does it grow organically from the story and uh, how the characters move through it? This the uh, the relationships that you draw up.
0: That is a great question, and I feel like it's different with each character. So. For me, for voted most likely, as I this story came to me right after I had finished writing my first draft to A Memory Made Real, so the sequel to A Tangle of Dreams. I did not plan on releasing another book in between my duology, I, I didn't plan it at all. But then, like two days after I finished my first draft of the sequel, which kind of scrambled my brain. You know, it's, it was a long, arduous process of writing. And I was so burnt out. I was so tired. And I was like, I am ready for a break. And then like two days later, I had this idea come to me when I was in the shower and I was like, Oh my gosh, I, what is this? I have to write it. And it it started out as Aiden Christopher Mitchell the Third, which is a mouthful, like it's a long name. And as soon as I heard Aiden's name, I could hear Josephine's voice and I was like, she hates him. She hates him and she hates his name. And she thinks he's, you know, she just is not a fan of his. And so that relationship was instant. I knew that they had this rivalry. And as I, I like got out of the shower, I got my phone. I started like putting notes in my phone. So their relationship was really strong in my mind right off the bat. But then other relationships, I, I'm i a discovery writer. I'm a pantser. I do not plot pretty much at all (laughs) I wish I could plot that would make my life easier but um the other characters they just kind of strolled in as I was writing and so one thing that I found so fascinating was the development of Josephine and her family so Josephine and her parents they don't get along especially Josephine and her mom and I didn't really plan that ahead, but it made, as soon as I started that chapter and it was like, you know, enter mom stage left, like she like comes in. I was like the first words out of her mouth as I'm typing, I was like, this is one of the reasons Josephine is the way she is. And so it just like that relationship just started to build. And I think with every draft, it just becomes clearer, you know, like you have those initial thoughts when you're drafting, but fine-tuning it takes time and it takes a lot of layering, at least for me. I feel like relationships are very layered. Yeah. So they kind of grow organically as I'm going. I think if that answers your
2: question, <laughs> I think you can tell that too, like through reading. And I think you can tell that your relationships are, 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 organic because there's a lot of heart in it. That really can't, I feel like you can't plan. The type of heart that you put into the characters and even like even the fact that i remember when you posted on your instagram pretty much like hey surprise i wrote another book i was like she did what like that was like two months ago you know and i was like so shocked but you can tell through the book that you were passionate about it and that it was like a story that was organic and so it makes sense that that would show up that way through your characters too well
0: thank you yeah it was it just totally caught me off guard the story and so like I genuinely had to keep writing because I wanted to know what was going to happen next. Like I yeah. was into the story and I was like staying up so late every night. Cause I was like, where am I going with this? And there were a few things I knew ahead of time, but most of it I just had to discover as I was writing it. And I just had to see these characters through. I wanted to see these relationships grow and develop. And I just, I couldn't, couldn't put it down. I couldn't get away from it.
1: <laughs> That's great. You can do that. Cause, uh, I, I'm definitely a, a, an outliner, a plotter. And this last book I'm writing is like, I didn't really do it as much as I usually do. And I'm paying for it now. I mean, I'm like, oh, my, I got to get from point A to B to C and uh, I need all the detail, you know, and that's just not the way my mind works. So it's interesting talking to you on on that.
0: I, I feel you. I, I pay for it a lot of the time, but I can't. I think the way my brain works to unlock the next pieces of the story is I have to be in the act of writing. That's just how it's been so far for all 3 of my books is I have to be writing out sentences, being in the characters, putting them in scenarios and I'm like, "Oh, that's where we're going." Okay, you know, like that's where the story ideas come from for me. And like I said, I have like a very rough timeline of like okay i know i need these things to happen but i don't know how they connect i don't know how to get to those points so it can be frustrating there's a lot of frustrating writing sessions because of that but also it's so magical when it works you know (laughs) like where does this
2: stuff come from yeah yeah totally switching gears here but i thought this was interesting to bring up so a lot of your readers have a love for taylor swift that just seems (laughs) to be like a connection between your fan base. So how did this connection with Taylor's music kind of bleed into your writing? Or like, did you just realize that your readers also shared a love for Taylor Swift that you do or what, how does, what does that look like with you? It's so funny because I didn't intentionally
0: put in all these Taylor Swift references in the book. They just kind of happened because I I'm a big Taylor Swift fan, and like phrasing or references in the songs, um, they just kind of like appeared in the story. And I feel like half of them I didn't even notice until readers were like, "Oh, like that's this song," and I was like, "Oh gosh, this is, <laughs> this, is this is getting out of hand." But <laughs> I listened to uh, music is a huge inspiration for me when I'm drafting a book, and I don't listen to my book playlist while I'm writing because any music with lyrics is like way too distracting. I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> writing, like I have to have like instrumental music on, but I listen to these character playlists. I make play- playlists for each of my books. I listen to them all the time when I'm not writing. And I think that's where I get a lot of ideas from and a lot of like character motivations. And I can just start to visualize where I want to take things before I sit down to start writing. And one of the songs I listen to a lot and the heartbreak prince which is a taylor swift song from her album lover and that song is just like it it's not i mean it's a parody about high school basically you know and so or like a satire about high school but it just set the scene completely for me about like, it put me in the halls of high school and it's really moody. And it just like, I could just see Josephine and Aiden every time I listened to it. So I listened to that song, like an insane number of times. I think all my kids know all the words to it now. (laughs) And um, so that one was just a big inspiration for me. So I use a lot of those songs when I'm promoting the book too, because oh, if you like this song, you'll like this, you know, because they're emotional songs. I'm an emotional writer. <laughs> I feel like they just pair really well together.
1: <laughs> oh, that's that's actually brilliant marketing. I mean, it, and, and it it integrates into the story and, and it totally makes sense. You're not doing it just to throw it on top and, and yeah, get Taylor yeah. Swift fans, right? It's it all part of the story. But it, uh, it, if you're gonna use someone's writing, might as well be and I love searches. it. I
0: love it when readers will be like, "Oh my gosh, I was listening to this song, and it totally made me think of Josephine. And it'd be a song like that I hadn't had on the playlist. And so like it's so cool to see that kind of reader experience come together where we all listen to and read things on our own and then we visualize things in different ways and we all have our own experience. and it's just so cool. It's so cool that art and music and books can do that.
2: Yeah, I love that.
1: Yeah, that's a great reader engagement or community or or whatever. It's a great connection you you oh, got I with the readers. That's, <laughs> I love that's it. Wonderful.
2: That in Twilight.
1: <laughs> Twilight. That and Twilight. <laughs> and Twilight. So uh, another thing that readers have commented on and voted most likely is the uh, there's an unexpected and surprising uh, things that happen in the story, but in a good way. They always say, hey, it was a good way. I adored it, you know. I want to ask you, how do you go about taking like a tried and true YA trope and uh, take it in new and exciting directions?
0: I was writing this book and the plot twist is one of the first things that I thought of for this story. And it takes what is a contemporary young adult novel and it just adds a little twist to it. And, you know, I'm not going to spoil it because I've done a good job of not spoiling it so far. (laughs) But I did say after I wrote it, I, you know, people, because my first book, A Tangle of Dreams is a contemporary fantasy. So everyone was like, oh, is this a fantasy? Is there magic? And I was like, no, there's no magic, but there's, there's something. And so like, that's basically all I said. But then when I, I was in the middle of revising it at the time and I was preparing it for beta readers and I sent it to beta readers and I, I didn't tell them anything about it because I wanted to see how it landed, not knowing anything, you know? And they were all, I think I had five beta readers. They were all like so blown away. They were so delighted and surprised and they just, they loved it. And so I was kind of like, okay, I think, well, th- this is my opinion. I think the back of the book, the blurb always reveals way too much about the book. Like every, I, re- I rarely read them because I'm like, I don't want to know what happens at the midpoint. Like I want to find out when I'm reading it. So I I don't like reading the back of the book and I like to keep mine as vague as possible. I understand why we need to have summaries on the back of the book. Like I get it, but I also don't think we need to spill like 50% of the story. So I decided to kind of take a risk and not mention it at all on the back of the book, (laughs) which right before it came out, I was like, should I do this? This feels a little crazy. Like that's kind of a big, (laughs) that's a big thing to leave out. But I just decided to go for it because that's what I wanted as a reader. I'm like, I want people to go into this and just be blown away, be surprised and have this experience because Josephine, as the story progresses, she has to learn what's going on, too. And I thought I I enjoy doing that as a reader. I like being in with the character and not knowing beforehand what's going to happen. So that I think is was kind of a risk. But, you know that's just what felt right to me. And it's been so fun hearing reader reactions. And I'm also loving how everyone is also keeping it a secret, like in all the reviews, everyone (laughs) keeps it a secret, which I think is incredible. And I'm sure it'll get out. I'm sure someone has said something, but I've been like pleasantly surprised to see all the reviews that people are also harboring the secret with me.
2: (laughs) Yeah. That is so funny that, that, that you mentioned that because even when dad, you asked me
1: directly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Hey, I'm not
2: gonna, I'm not going to reveal. And two, I don't even know how you would, because it's not like a blatant thing. It yeah. just, it just kind of slips in, you know, but I mean, and I, I love that. I didn't even really notice that it wasn't on the back of the book. Maybe because I, maybe I didn't read the back of the book because <laughs> I just, you know, I saw how you marketed it and thought, well, that looks like a great book, but, yeah. um, it took me by surprise. You know, when I got to that chapter, you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about, where it, you realize something's different. Yeah, I was like, I was confused for a minute because I was like, did I do this right? And then I was like, oh, I, I made it. So no I went back to flip back. They're like, wait a minute. Yes. <laughs> I definitely flipped back because I was like, did I like miss something? Or... But it, it really did take me by surprise. And honestly, it, it was great. I was so happy to be surprised by it, you know, but that's so true about people keeping it a secret because I went into it not knowing that at all and I have been following your journey with the book so that's interesting I never really thought that
1: yeah I mean I I read through a lot of uh, reviews on Amazon (laughs) and nobody spills on that
0: I know it's pretty amazing (laughs) (laughs)
1: They they say they love it and it was surprising, but, but they don't say what it is. And that's, that's great. I
0: think because people like the surprise, they want to like maintain the surprise for other readers, you know? So I am thankful people are trusting me and (laughs) going for it, you know, even though I'm not revealing everything, but you know, I think that's the way it should be.
2: (laughs) Yeah. You did a great job with that. Thank you. (laughs) So you have three girls at home and now you have a puppy not really a puppy anymore, right? A little bit older.
0: No, she's, <laughs> still she's still a, a puppy. She's still a puppy. She, oh. a puppy. she was yes. just digging a huge hole in the garden this morning and she was like covered in mud. I was like, oh my gosh.
2: <laughs> you're like, now I have to clean that up. Yeah. <laughs> but since, since you have all that going on, you know, you're a mom, your wife, what is that like for you trying to find time to write? And do you have a specific schedule that you follow? Or what does that look like for you as a writing mom? So it's, I never, I never
0: have enough time. That's what I tell myself constantly is I never have enough time, which isn't a very helpful thought because it just makes me feel like I'm in scarcity all the time. But my two older girls are in school and my youngest who just turned four is in preschool. And so she goes to preschool just two days a week. So Tuesday and Thursday mornings are like my set guaranteed I get to write. And so those are like my sacred time. Like if anyone wants to do something during that time where I need to go somewhere, I'm like, sorry, I have to write. And I think that that's been the thing that really helps me stay in my writing schedule is that I treat it like it's an appointment that I've set up with somebody Mm -hmm. else. Like I schedule when I'm going to write and obviously things happen, you know, where it, it doesn't work, but I, if, if it's all in my control, then I am going to stick to my schedule and I'm going to write when I said I was going to write, which you guys know is hard. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. I seem to always want to write until I have to sit down and write. And then I'm like, I don't really feel like it now. You know? Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. But exactly. um, right. I do, I, I go back and forth between getting up early before my kids and writing. I right now am writing when they go to bed. Um, and I just try not to stay up too late because then I'm cranky. But I also it's really important to me that my kids know that that this is one of my jobs and that it matters to me. And I write when they're home. So, you know, sometimes I have to turn on a movie for them. I get them all set up with an array of snacks and I'm like, I'm going to my office. I'm going to be trying to write for the next hour. Can you guys help me out? Like I want to try to include them in the process and do they interrupt me constantly? Of course they do. But I also don't want it to be like, I have to do it on the side. You know what I mean? Like I want to carve out space just for myself and for my work and for my writing and say, this is my writing time. And sometimes it comes in snatches, but there's a, there's a really great quote about something about like women and, you know, mothering and trying to make art. And it says like, I'm probably misquoting this, but it's like art doesn't have to be made in stolen moments. And that has always really resonated with me because as a wife and mother who, and they, my family is my first priority. It feels like I have to do it after everything else. I've really tried to adopt that mentality of it doesn't have to be stolen moments. I can Dedicate time to my writing, I can ignore the laundry, I can ignore the dishes, sometimes I can ignore my kids. <laughs> I can just do it, but it's hard, it's hard, but it's also something I'm really proud of in the way I'm handling, mm-hmm. and it just a lot of it is what's happening up in my brain, you know, like if I'm handling my two two separate duties, it feels like sometimes, but it's a joy. it's a joy to do both. It's a joy to do both.
2: Yeah. I like how you mentioned setting aside time, like you're carving out time that, like, this is this is when I'm writing. And even you know when my kids are awake and up and you know watching a movie, whatever, I'm I'm going to write because I think I talk to a lot of writers who only write when they feel motivated, mm-hmm. which honestly for me can be few and far between. <laughs> you know, having the <laughs> moments of actually feeling motivated. So I always tell myself, don't only write when you're motivated but be disciplined to write on a schedule. Like is kind of how I view it, you know, because otherwise it might not happen. And I feel like a lot of the times discipline is kind of what gets you through, you know? And half the time when you're done writing, you're like, that was a great writing session. But when you sat down to write, that was the last thing you wanted to do. But if you treat it like you said, like a job, because it is your job, then I think that will help you get by. And I don't know, just with ease and not beating yourself up. You know? Yes. I
0: I love how you said that it does. It does take a lot of discipline because like I said, you know, most half the time when I sit down, I'm like, I don't really feel like doing this. I'm not feeling inspired. I'm not firmly in a creative habit. I think creative habits take us really far on the days when our writing is not exactly where we want it to be. So Mm -hmm. I know for some people, they don't like, Oh, I you know don't write every, I don't have to write every day, you know, or something like that. And like, they don't like a schedule and I'm I'm not a big believer in like, I have to hit this word count every day. I have to get, Mm -hmm. you know, this many pages done, but I am a big believer in spending time with your story as much as possible. So, and that, that's how I got my first draft written. I said, I'm going to write something every day. And some days it was literally one sentence and other days it was thousands of words. But I was like, I will open my laptop and open this document every day and look at it and spend time with it. And like you said, usually once you get started, you're like, oh, I do have the words. I do know what I want to say. And this is fun, but it's getting started. That is so hard.
1: I think my philosophy on that is very similar to yours about writing something when you sit down every day or whatever, you know, a sentence, a paragraph, a word, a piece of dialogue. And I like that you said you make time and you sit down. And and when you sit down, you're like, I don't feel like doing this. You know, I thought I was the only one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
2: (laughs) Everyone always thinks you're the only one. That's not true. (laughs) No, I, I expect it. I like following this like 50-50 rule of like
0: half the time I'm going to want to, half the time I'm not. And I do that for everything, like with parenting, with my house, with my writing. I'm like half the time it's great, half the time it's not. And when you kind of give yourself that permission to not always like fully enjoy it or like look to be inspired or just loving every moment, then, it, then you can kind of relax into it a little bit more and just appreciate it for what it is in that moment.
1: So I got another question here. I guess it's switching gears a little bit. And I I think I've read this on one of your posts, which, by the way, you have very eloquent posts in your Instagram.
0: Oh, thank you. Uh,
1: But you you wrote once, we live in a world of ease over discomfort and quitting over commitment. And I was wondering, how how does this viewpoint influence your writing?
0: Oh, that... (laughs) That is a good question. I wrote that post. I write most of my posts for me because I need the reminders (laughs) because I so often and get caught in. This is so hard. I don't want to do this anymore. It's too hard, you know, and that's what my mind tells me regularly. And I think Like I was saying, we prefer ease. We prefer just being able to have it all figured out. We live in kind of in this world where it's like instant success, instant gratification. And so writing a book, marketing a book, those things are so slow and they take a long time to get right and to learn. And I find myself wanting to quit all the time. Like mentally, I'm always, it's too much work. I don't know what I'm doing but what brings me back to it is just that I love it. I love it so much. And so I don't want to quit. I want to keep going. And so recognizing that, like, I think it's normal to want the ease. I think it's normal to feel uncomfortable when you're growing. And so when I recognize that it gives me permission to just keep going, to just be like, this is part of the process. I expect it. I'm, it's going to be hard. I'm going to have hard days. And that just helps me to keep going because then I know it's normal that nothing's gone wrong. I'm not doing it wrong. It's just hard, but all good things, all things worth doing are really hard.
2: Yeah. yeah I
1: think You're spot on with that comment, by the way. I totally agree with it.
2: I um, was talking to my husband one time saying how much, how I was worried because I wasn't like enjoying writing what I was writing at the time or I wasn't like motivated all the time. And, and he was like, well, it's not, you know, it's not just a hobby for you. It's, it's work and work isn't always fun. And I I thought, well, that's right. (laughs) You know, I, you think it should be fun all the time, but that's just not, that's just not how it is.
0: And I think because it is a creative endeavor, And there is some kind of mysterious, magical spark that comes with creativity that we feel like it's really out of our hands, you know, (laughs) like we have to wait to feel inspired. And if we're not, then we're not doing it right. And that it's not going to be fun. And, but there, like I said, there is such creative, a creative habit matters so much. Like if you keep showing up, I think it's easier to find that spark writing is a muscle. The more you do it, the more you strengthen it. And I think it's easier to tap into that creativity aim yourself towards inspiration rather than just waiting for it, which, you know,
2: if I did that, I'd be waiting a lot. (laughs) Oh, I know. I (laughs) I would never write. It would be like once every month or something, something stupid like that. (laughs) So I've noticed, you know, that you are very open and real on your social media and you post pretty raw things about what it's like being, being a mom, being an author. Have you always posted this way since you started marketing and, and having a writing account? Or was that something that you wished you saw more of on social media? So you decided to, you know, be more open about that.
0: Yeah, that's something, I mean, if you go all the way back to the beginning and you scroll all the way back, please don't. <laughs> um, I, that's pretty much what I've done the whole time. I, I'm i a deep thinker, I'm an overthinker, and I think the way I process things, is obviously through writing and through feeling my feelings. And so I don't know if I'm capable of writing without that. It just doesn't feel like my voice at all. And so I wasn't even on social media until I started. Well, I had like a personal account that I hadn't been on for like two years. And so I got on there and I was like, I wrote a book. Um, I'm, I'm going to start another <laughs> account if you want to. See what's going on. And I was like shaking when I when I posted it. Oh. I was so nervous, you know. But I started write Nicole Wright because I knew I needed a place to talk about my books, obviously. But more than anything, I really wanted it to be a this is how my books are made. I wanted people to be able to see the behind the scenes process and know, because we just look at books on a shelf and it's like, oh, there's a book. No big yeah. deal. They just Spat it out, you know, and so much goes into it. It, It's such an emotional process for me. And I wanted to share that. And like I said, a lot of those, my posts are almost like writing prompts for myself when I'm struggling with something, when I'm struggling with balancing motherhood or I'm struggling with my feelings of inadequacy. I have to kind of write my way through it. And I figure if I'm struggling with it, odds are somebody else is too. So I like sharing it in that regard. So that way, I I feel like that's what brings connection on social media because it's just so easy to just get caught in a cycle of comparison and judgment. And that's, that's hard for me. I don't enjoy that aspect of social media, but when there's true connection, I think when people are sharing their real feelings, that's, I mean, that's where it's at. I love that. I love the community that is fostered through Instagram and through other writers. It's incredible. And they so many other writers like you have like given me strength and motivation to keep going because it's like, I see you, I I'm the same way, you know, and when you feel yeah. that way, you just feel less alone. Because I think we said at the beginning, writing is a solitary thing. It can be a lonely,
2: lonely project, <laughs> a lonely passion to have. Yeah, It really can. Yeah. And it, it is so nice to see, you know, there are writing accounts that are solely, books and writing and that's really it, which is fine, you know, but I, I just, I really do enjoy the accounts where the, the author will add in elements of their, of their real life and their family life. And you know what they do on the side, because though you write, though you're an author, that's not all you are, which is really important to remember. And I have to be reminded, reminded about all the time, Yes. because what happens if something that you wrote doesn't sell well, then does that mean that, you don't have worth. Yeah. That's not what that means. So you have to differentiate yourself and your writing self. And so I like when accounts incorporate all of that. Thank you.
0: I, I love it too. That's, I have a lot of joy on anything I share on social media is something that I feel really passionately about. So I I appreciate you saying that. And, and it's important to me that I share this a lot because if I'm like, if I'm having a good writing day, you must know that my house is a disaster. Like I am not doing anything to clean up, nothing. Like there are like four day old dishes sitting in the sink. I'm known for talking about my laundry all the time because I don't fold it or put it away. It's just like piles of it everywhere. But I ha- I'm like, I-, I literally don't have the time to do that. So I can choose to do my chores or I could choose to write my book and I'm going to choose to write my books. So. Mm. <laughs> but I want, I have to share that because otherwise we're just like, Oh, she, she can just write a book and like my house is a mess. What about me? You know, it, it's I, I, can't do it. And so I, I'm just like, this is so important for me, that you know that I'm doing this, but it's a mess, and it's okay that it's a mess. It's okay. Nobody's doing it all. Literally nobody. Nobody can do it all. And that's just a message I just feel so strongly about sharing.
1: And just, just so many uh, meaningful things that you put in your posts, and they're well thought out. You know, I, I did make a note of that when I was kind of looking through there, it's like, this is this is really nice. The uh the messages you're putting out there and 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 how you're and you how you're doing it. Thank so you. Congratulations Thank you. on that too. Now um Kira and I were independent authors. And as a matter of fact, we label our podcasts by independent authors for independent authors kind of thing. So I want to ask you what drove your decision to go the indie route? Uh, with your book,
0: well, I, as I was writing a tangle of dreams, I knew immediately that I wanted to publish it. Which, looking back, I'm like, that seems so crazy. Like draft stage, and I'm researching how to publish my book. I would guess I just was all in. I felt very called to it. It just felt like what I was going to do. And so, as I started looking into the different options, I at first was, you know, assuming that I would pursue traditional publishing because. I mean, everyone wants that. Who doesn't want a giant book deal? You know, and the whole the whole thing. So that's what I thought I was going to do, and I was like, "Well, I don't know anything about self self publishing. It sounds really hard. I I don't I don't know the first thing about it." And that's just what people do when they can't get published. I'm embarrassed to say it. those are my initial thoughts, but that's what a lot of people think. It's like, "Oh, you mm-hmm. couldn't get your book, you know, bought. So then, you know, you just did it yourself." And I, the more I started looking into it, the more I learned about it, I was like, this is a thriving world. This is a amazing industry. There is so much happening. So many changes. There's been so many changes in self-publishing first started really. And I loved the options that were available. And as I started looking into it and I started kind of leaning in that direction, I, um, I'm a really spiritual person, so I was very prayerful about it, and I just had, I don't have a lot of, like, big, like, you know, aha moments of, like, this is what I'm supposed to do, but I really felt that self-publishing was what I needed to do, and I just had a very clear impression that that was what I needed to do for my books, but not just for my books, but for me, I felt the impression was that I had a lot to learn about myself in self-publishing, and I was like, really? Really? This sounds really hard. I'm really scared. <laughs> I don't know how to do this. And <laughs> my personality is i I thrive on validation. I thrive on people telling me I'm good, doing a good job. I mean, I'm an oldest child, classic kind of like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> tell me I'm doing a good job. I need all the gold stars. Perfectionist. That's kind of my personality, you know. I'm a recovering perfectionist. I'm working on that, but. Once I felt that self-publishing was the way for me to go, that's what scared me is I wouldn't have someone telling me my book was good and that it deserved to be read. And I really wanted that. I wanted someone to, I wanted a publisher to say, your book is so good. We want to buy it from you. (laughs) You So I had to say that to myself. I had to say, Nicole, your book is so good. It is worth putting all your time and money and effort into, and you can do it. And that was, I think one of the hardest parts for me was my, in my first year, of doing my social media and getting my book ready for publication was that constant mental and emotional battle of telling myself that my stories were good enough to be read like this, especially because, you know, I've never done it before. I'm like, who am I to say my book is good enough to be on the shelf? And I'm so happy to report that I have grown so much. I have grown so much. I 100% believe in my ability as a writer and my ability to put books out into the world and. It's incredible to see the hand of God in leading me in that direction and how I just have grown a little bit every single day. And I've had so many moments of doubt. I can't even count them, (laughs) but it's been such an incredible experience to see that I could do this on my own. And I just I love seeing other indie authors take their stories and say, my story matters. It deserves to be read. And I'm not waiting for someone to tell me. So Mm -hmm. that's the coolest part about indie publishing. Yeah, You just do it yourself and you own your story and you put it out there and you're in charge of everything, which is awesome and terrifying.
2: (laughs) You know, what's really cool about the indie author community is everyone genuinely, I won't say everyone, but most people genuinely want to help other authors do the same thing. So you can Reach out to you know another indie author and be like, hey, you know, what does this mean on Ingram <laughs> Spark? I'm so confused, and they'll yes. tell you, oh, let me let me send you a template for how I did this or whatever. And people are genuinely want to help you because they know a, it's hard, yeah. Two, it's you're full of doubt, you know, and three is lonely. Yes, the writer community has been like one of the best communities I've ever been a part of just because they're so kind and helpful. Oh, it's amazing.
0: I cannot tell you the amount of DMs I sent to people. When I found out they were self-published, I'd be like, where did you do this? How did you do this? I sent them so many questions. And I am, one of my greatest joys now is when people ask me those same questions. I love paying it forward in that way. And people are always like, I'm so sorry. I have another question. I'm like, first of all, don't say sorry, asking for help (laughs) is a good thing. And second of all, I asked so many questions. I'm still asking questions. I still have the time feel like I don't know what I'm doing. But here's what I do know, and here's what's working for me. Maybe you want to try this. And so I love sharing the small little pearls of wisdom that I have from you know trial and error, because that's a lot of (laughs) what self-publishing is but it's just it's such a joy. It's such a cool thriving industry and I've seen authors kind of grow into their own and really take ownership of their story is I think just the neatest part about it. I love it.
1: Yeah, I mean, your your first thought on this when before you, you know, learned about the thriving community, I mean, about 30 years ago, you were spot on because it was it was called vanity press back then if you were self-published. <laughs> you know, there was kind of a stigma to it which never I never I mean, I don't understand that when you can be an independent rock star and then you're cool you yes. know or you can be an independent artist and sculptor and you're all right you know but independent author used to be oh well okay can't you get published but I think what totally turned that world upside down was uh, the connectivity and the internet and the able the ability of the author to reach your audience yourself. Yeah. And, and you can find your niche and tell your story and have this relationship, like you're saying, with the Taylor Swift connections and then all that stuff that didn't exist before. But now people can find you and you can find them and you have such a better chance to have that success by reaching your, your reach. Yeah, it's yeah. so
0: true. And I love what you said about like independent music artists. I may, I give that example all the time. No one is sitting around being like, I wish I could get a record deal. Like no one's saying that anymore. Like people are, they just put their music out on Spotify. Yeah, (laughs) they just put their music out, and I'm like, why is that so weird in the publishing industry? But I feel like the publishing industry is just like a little bit behind. I feel like it's starting to catch up in that regard. But so many other creative outlets, independent artists, have always been there and pushing their art out there, and it wasn't seen as like less than, you know, because Mm -hmm. self-published books are incredible, and they're definitely not less than and I've done, so I do book clubs a lot with my books and almost every single time they have not known it was self-published. They like, they ask me questions about my publisher and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm the publisher. <laughs> like I, I did this myself. And they're like, what, you know, and they're not in the writing community. So they don't really know. And they're always so fascinated by that. And it's just funny. I'm like, yeah, there's, there's a lot more than one way to do it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that is one of my favorite questions. So like, who's your publisher? Like if a like, family member asks me. you that, I'm like, well, <laughs> I mean, I guess me.
0: <laughs> yeah, someone asked me when I had Voted Most Likely coming out, it was like, oh, what did your publisher say that you have another book? I'm like, my publisher was thrilled. You know, like, yeah, you were so happy with me. <laughs>
1: uh, I really appreciate you coming on with us, Nicole. And it was a fun conversation. You got any events coming up or or um, anything coming up for Voted Most Likely or Tangle of Dreams or anything you want to kind of get out to your readers who might be hearing well, this? Well,
0: everyone should go read Voted Most Likely because it's a standalone novel and it is just ready to be read. And then you can go find out what the fantastic twist is in the middle of the book. But <laughs> I love that book. Um, <laughs> but I'm so happy to say that I am wrapping up my contemporary fantasy duology, which started with a Tangle of Dreams. and. I just need to say again, voted most likely has nothing to do with the Tangle of Dreams. I've really confused everybody by releasing a book in between (laughs) my duology, but I have a memory made real, which is the follow-up, the sequel to A Tangle of Dreams coming out November 1st. So I am well underway with my, one of my hopefully last rounds of revisions (laughs) and I'll be handing it off to beta readers this summer. And. Then getting all the fun stuff ready, like cover design and getting it formatted. So keep your eye out for that. And if you have not read A Tangle of Dreams, then you'll want to do that because the next one will be out by November. So I'm super excited about that.
1: Yay. Fantastic. Kira. any last words for Nicole? (laughs) That sounded like a threat.
2: Um, (laughs) Any last
1: words? (laughs) I didn't uh, you know <laughs> never
2: <laughs> just the way I heard it. <laughs> no, I just uh, you know I just thank you so much for for coming on here and and, and being willing to do this with us and um, I find your your writing journey to be very encouraging and I often look to it for encouragement for myself and I don't know it's it's a comforting is a comforting thing to go on social media and see somebody else who gets it. And I know a lot of other people, a lot of other writers feel the same. So just thank you for that and keep it up. And I am, I have not read A Tangle of Dreams, but I'm definitely going to be picking it up. I'm a slow reader. So I need to finish two of my TBR books here. You don't, you don't need to tell me. You know, I like get into writing because I love reading
0: so much. And now I never read because I'm writing too much. I'm like, how did this work out? (laughs) I know. (laughs) There's this weird balance that just is never
2: right.
1: It's hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And when I'm writing a lot, it's hard for me to like sink into a story. Is that what it is for you guys? Do you guys have that or can you still read when you're writing?
2: I didn't used to read while writing. But now I've realized that I really can't write at night because I'm so tired. So I read at night now and I find that's easier. I just have to different, differentiate the times of when I do things. I don't know. It's hard.
1: I, I don't read nearly as much as I, I did before yeah. I wrote. When I And I do read now, but it's a yes. lot slower. Yeah. Like, you know, a chapter here yeah. and there. Yeah,
0: <laughs> And when I'm like deep into revising, I feel like, I pick up a book and all I can see is like words, like sentence structure. I'm like, this isn't fun. I don't want to look. At
2: this. Oh, I know. I do the same thing. Or I'll be like, why did they say that that way? Or that? how did that get past the editor? Interesting <laughs> interesting punctuation
0: choice.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you start editing their work. It's like, that wouldn't yeah, have done it I that do the way. Same thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. Well, I really enjoyed the conversation, Nicole. And uh, best of luck with your work. And like we say on the right note, keep your pen to the page and write on.